Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of the Big Footy Bomber cast for season 2023. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and this week I'm joined by a special guest, Owen87. How are you, Owen? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Looking forward to hopefully uh, another winnable game this week. Yeah, and we look, we will get to this week's game against GWS on Easter Sunday, as it is. But we'll herald back to what happened on uh, against the Saints on the weekend in their 150th anniversary. And I just want to quickly touch on, was the start of that one of the more bizarre things you've ever seen? I mean, I get that they're 150 years old, but geez. You, they've got nothing really to celebrate, do they? I mean, they've got the one, the flag, but the coach, is, the, the coach and the captain have both passed away. So they were trying to celebrate, but the singing of the song, it was just, it was all very weird. Yeah, I think St Kilda has a bizarre history. They've got a, a what is it, 37 wooden spoons and one premiership. So it's, um, how, do you, how do you package that up? And I suppose you've got a, a loyal supporter base that has stayed through thick and thin, and you just have to sell sell that. You sell, you know, like the, uh, what is it? The old Streak DVD. Yeah, um, well, 2004, then, I think that was when they won the first 10 games. Yeah, they're, they're not a club with a, a huge history of success, whereas you look at a lot of the other clubs that are 150 years old and they've got, you know, multiple flags, if not double-digit flags, and, and you look back on all those things. And St Kilda's flag is basically retirement age now. Well, it is. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly. That's a very, very good point that you raise. What is it? 65 retirement age in, in in Australia at the moment. So what? They're about eight years away from pulling up stumps. But I will just one one other thing. I'll just quickly ask you to reflect on. Is it just me, or is a week a long time in football? Because on their big footy forum, I think the last the first, after the first two games, it was very quiet. There wasn't many people posting, and if they did post, you know, it was pretty conservative and maintained. And then we have a loss. And all of a sudden, everyone comes out of the woodwork. And, and, and there's posters. If you look at the um, the autopsy thread, there's posters there who are leading the post count, the autopsy thread, or towards the top end, who didn't bother posting in the first two <laughs> weeks for the autopsy thread. So they've sort of waited till we've had a loss. And then, you know, it's just it's just all of a sudden become a hive of activity and, and most of it negative. Yeah, I think, that, what's that old saying? It's it's never as good or as bad as it seems. I think, you know, we've, we've had two positive weeks of football we've won some games and there's no one to stick the boot into there's no one to you know hate on we've all got our favorite players to pick on and then all of a sudden we've had a loss we've got our whipping boys we've got our our things that have outrages and we can talk about them yeah and, and outrage does sell more more than, than good news unfortunately the game was a it was a fascinating one because if you, if you look at the um at the way it unfolded st kilda jumped out of the blocks absolutely just completely destroyed us early. They got out to a 34-point lead 17 minutes in the first quarter, which is actually the game high. It was not the start that I had expected. I, I thought that they – I didn't tip us. I, I, I genuinely thought St Kilda would, would, would be just a little bit too tricky for us at the moment. But, geez, we did not turn up at all in the first, you know, quarter and a half, really. No, and I think um, I read sometime leading into the game that Essendon uh, has had trouble scoring at the start of quarters and St Kilda have been very good at the start of quarters. So I think uh, if you had have asked me before the game if I'd take a, a two to three goal loss and I probably would have said, yeah, I think that's okay. But the way we lost, it was, you know, to, to just roll over and let them score repeatedly through bad decisions, bad turnovers, and then to drag ourselves back into it like a club that looked like a genuinely experienced, you know, defensively strong football side. It was just a bizarre game. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of how I'd describe it earlier. And it's it was almost like a, 
a game that you could divide into four portions, but they're not even portions. And obviously, the first first portion is when St Kilda just hammered us out of the gates. Um, and then it was a bit of a bit of an arm wrestle. Nothing really happened. We, you know, they get a, a a goal here, we get a goal there. You know, there wasn't really that run on that that we saw obviously early in the first quarter. And then the last quarter hit, and we suddenly just came out of the gates and just suddenly exploded. And then all of a sudden, you know, scores are level, and it started to look like we were about to rain on their parade. Yeah, it really did. And I think um, whatever's going on with the club, uh, there does seem to be a belief in in sticking it out, sticking at it. They don't just roll over and capitulate, which I think, as a lot of people said, in, in years gone by, we would have it would have got to 34 points and then we would have come out and it would have got to 50 points and then it would have been 80 and then we would have shown a you know a little surge in the last five minutes where we kicked three goals to bring it back to a respectable 47-point loss. Uh, yeah, it's hard to know what to make of it. Do you sit there and you look at the first 20 minutes and think, geez, this, this club's got a lot of work to do? Or do you sit there and look at the next two and a half quarters and think, you know what, we're, we're not too bad. We're, we're getting it. We're showing signs. So, so where do you think we lost it? Because for me, I think we lost it on the outside. And, and I think the stats sort of reflect that a little bit in that, you know, we dom- again, we dominated the clearances, which was probably pleasing because and I know St Kilda had a couple of players out of their midfield, but they still got a pretty decent midfield in there, with, you know, with Crouch and Co in there. So I thought it was good to, to dominate the clearances, but it just seemed that once the ball sort of got out on the spread, they, they just had that little bit of too much class and, and run on the outside for us. Yeah, look, I, I'd agree. I think once we once we got the ball in hand, we didn't use it well. There were a lot of that, you know, a lot of those turnovers where you sort of hit that player 60 metres out from goal and instead of hitting our player, we we put it to grass or hit one of their players. We kicked it to, you know, if Callum Wilkie was our full forward, he would have had fantastic service. We just delivered the ball to him beautifully. And yeah, even when we really wrestled back control of the game, I I never thought our disposal looked good. Our our dangerous players struggled to get into the game. You know, Stringer really, he just didn't, I don't think he was well served, but he, he also didn't look threatening at any point. And it just made it so easy for their defenders to play proactively. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Jake... Has been has been pointed out a few times. Just takes that you know extra week or two in the seniors. It's rather infuriating because it seems no matter if you give him a game in the twos or if you you know you give him an extra week to recover, he just comes into the ones and just just still needs that week or two just to find the pace of um, AFL football again. Yeah, and I, I think it's so hard. He, he's such a hard player to leave out of the side when he's fit because he's one of the very few players we have that can just break a game apart in a few minutes of football. But at the same time, when he when he's not right and when he's not up to the speed of the game, you, you're sort of playing a man down up forward because he's he's sort of defends like a tall, but he doesn't mark overhead like a tall. And yeah, he's a really hard one to fit into the side, and he's he's probably the most you know his ceilings as high as anyone we have, but his his worst games are pretty bad. Yeah, I, I think you I think you're right there when you say his ceiling's pretty high. He's definitely definitely probably got the biggest gap. I think. In our list, because as you said, his bad games are pretty bad. But geez, when he's on, he's still one of the best players, I think, still in the league. Our goal kicking was, again, I thought, okay. But we still seem to be missing some pretty gettable shots. Or shots that, you, at the very least, you'd expect their an AFL side to be able to hit. I mean, 11-8 is a pretty decent return. But I think there were a couple out in the fulls there that, you know, we, we sprayed a couple of ones that... that probably should have been gettable. Yeah, I think was it Mason Redmond wound up from 65 and it didn't come off. Harry Jones had a, a really gettable shot and it didn't come off. And then you had these, you know, magical goals from Caldwell that really kept us in the game. <laughs> 
I, I when he kicked that first one, I thought to myself that you know he's he's actually probably going to finally get a little bit of re- reward for effort because he has been exceptionally. I think he's been exceptionally good in his role for the last three weeks. But then he kicked that second one, and all of a sudden it was like the spotlight's on him, and here we go. Yeah, I think um, he's playing that that sort of half forward role that rolls up, you know, helps out at stoppages. Uh, we saw Will Snelling play it a couple of years ago, and it's it's a difficult role, I think, because you've you've got to be a player who understands midfield craft. You've got to understand how and when to hold your width, but you've also got to be able to hit the scoreboard when you've got the opportunity. And uh, I think Caldwell's shown that he he can score from difficult angles and difficult positions, which is it's really valuable. And I think he has been a really good pickup for us and having the ability to then go into the midfield, play as a tagger. He's a strong body. He's happy to take a hit. I actually think he's been more impressive than his stat sheet probably shows this year. Yeah, well, the, the SEN guys actually had him down as one of the most underrated midfielders um, prior to the St Kilda game. So, And, and the reason for that was um, he's been – I think I think the stat is he's been involved in the most scoring chains as a midfielder this year. Well, it's it's something very similar to that. So, so ten, it, it tends to be when he touches the ball, Essendon score. Which to me, I mean, you could probably say it's a little bit coincidental, but at the same time, it does mean that when he gets the gets his hands on the pillow, gets gets involved in the game, he's he's clearly making the right choices. Oh, and I think that's exactly what it is. And you look at the the guys who play that small forward, half forward role well. Um, Anthony McDonald took tip and Woody. Not only is an incredible shot for goal, but if he's taking that last kick inside fifty, it generally results in a score because they know where to put it. They know how to advantage our forwards, and it's about a lot of football is about getting these guys, you know, a Langford, a Nick Martin, uh, an Alwyn Davy Jr. now um, into positions to use their disposal creatively and to set our players up. And I think Caldwell's showing that he does have that string to his bow. And he, he was at, what was he, a top 10 draft pick, pick nine or something? So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very talented. I mean, GWS obviously asked, I mean, I think they won the first round out of us and then we ended up getting him for that pick 26, whatever it was. And there were times last year where you could just see why they were determined to try and get that first round because he's clearly got a lot of talent. And I think at the moment he's probably found his role, but I think there is another level to his game. Whether or not he gets there this year, I don't know because let's be honest, he, him being able to get, say, a full season without it breaking down is probably priority for us at the moment. But he's another one that you know you sort of look at for the future and you go, well, him and Hobbs, and it's, it's, it's exciting, but you know, we can't obviously can't get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, and no, I agree. I think he's one of the um, the midfielders along with, uh, we haven't seen him yet, but from what we've read about uh, Eliza uh, Sartas, he's yes. got that breakaway speed from stoppages. And that, that was the big thing that Caldo had in his draft year um, until he had hamstring injuries. And it's only been recently he's got a clear run at it. And he, he's shown that he still does have power from stoppages. He's able to create that step or two of space to give him the chance to use the ball well. And the willingness to take contact allows him that extra, you know, half a second or so that some of our other midfielders probably struggle to generate. There's another bloke I want to talk about before we probably turn to to less pleasing matters, I think. Um, but that's Jake Kelly. I, I think Jake Kelly's probably pretty underrated by a lot of people at the moment. We, I mean, we knew uh, Adelaide fans said to us when we got him, you know, he, at the time when we got him across, I think he won the most percentage of one-on-ones in the league for two or three years in a row. So Adelaide fans are actually... Yeah, they were they were okay because they got a relatively okay pick and once we grabbed him as a free agent. But they were still disappointed to see him go. And I think Saturday night probably emphasized just how valuable he is to our side. So 
So I don't know if you're aware, but he actually led the game for intercept possession. So he had 16 intercept possessions on the weekend, um, which was five more than the aforementioned Callum Wilkie that you mentioned before, who, who would have loved to have been a forward for us. Um, and, and Jordan Ridley was at the next highest for us with nine. And then you go back to Langford with seven. So, you know, 16 intercept disposals, when you're managing to get your, the, your hand on the pill, you know, obviously not a huge amount of time is, is pretty bloody handy. Like, and his run as well was just amazing. So he ran and covered a lot of ground, providing that overlap run. And and I think there was at one stage there, you know, he ran about a hundred. Well, they said 150 meters on the on the telecast, but I reckon it was even longer. He, he got the ball oh, on the on the on the near side wing for the uh, for the the coverage, and then sort of kicked it. And then we still went backwards a little bit. And so all of a sudden he was taking the ball at centre half back and he kicked it across. And then we went up the wing on, on the far side. And there he was busting his ass, sprinting at, at centre half forward across to take the ball on the half forward flank. It was it was an amazing thing to see. And for as I said, for a defender to get 16 intercepted barrels, he did have 29 on the weekend. Um, he took 11 marks. So that also, also means, you know, you sort of look at that and go, well, the majority of his disposals are either him busting his ass to get into space or they're intercepting from the opposition, which is all you can really ask for for a defender. Oh, you know, you know, um... You know, I'm one who comes out every week and tries to defend Jake Kelly because every week people want him dropped because he doesn't do anything flashy. And and yes, when he gets the ball, he takes safe options. He's not a guy who's going to take that difficult 60-meter kick that'll break out his own. But he he gives 100% every contest every week. And as a defender, he's the guy that you can trust. Will He will do everything he can to beat his man. He will work hard each direction. He will run at 100% every possession to try and provide an option. And no, he's, he's not always going to be perfect, but to have those guys in your team is incredibly important. If you look at any of the you know the best sides, they always have one or two of these guys that are just those role players who every single week do what they need to do. And I think, you know, this week, Jake got to have a bit of the spotlight because he did have 29 disposals and he got to have the headline a little bit, but people still sat there and said, oh no, he, he should be dropped. He they they look at the things he doesn't do instead of sitting there saying, well, you know, I think he's the, got had the most one-on-ones of any defender in the AFL this year and hasn't lost any of them. He provides a consistent and constant option for our side down back and he does it all without complaining. He hits contests hard. He, he does everything. As a teammate, you would love to play with him. One of the things you said there was was quite right. He take he might take the safe option, but there's nothing wrong with taking the safe option. So Zerk Thatch is another one down there who now takes the safe option because he plays within he, himself. You know, if he, if he didn't take the safe option, we'd, we'd be in trouble because I, I love Zerk, but his foot skills aren't great. Not not everybody can be the, you know, the Zach Merritt, the the Mason Redmond, the Jordan Ridley, who who can just by foot pull a trigger and take a risk. And, and sometimes it doesn't work, but you take the good with the bad with those guys. So you, you need those players who, when they get the ball in their hands, you know that whatever they're going to do, is going to be a, a high percentage safe option, whether it is just a, a 15, 20 metre kick sideways or the thump down the line. It, they're just players you know are just not going to make the mistake. Oh, 100%. And you only have to go back a few years to Kale Hooker. He was a player that, you know, he, he wasn't a renowned kick of the football and he learnt to play within his limitations and take the options that he knew he could take. And he was a, a loved defender at Essendon. 
because everyone just, they felt safe. They knew that if Hooker was back there, he would beat his man, he would take a safe option, and he'd, he'd get the ball into the hands of a, of a Hurley or someone like that who, who could move the ball well. And that's what Jake Kelly's there for. He's there to beat his man. He's there to, you know, intercept the ball and get it to your Ridleys or get it to your, your half forwards that have worked up the ground who are the guys you want taking that kick. You don't want Jordan Ridley playing a stopping role. That's, that's exactly what the opposition want Jordan Ridley doing. We'll move. We'll move to the other end of the ground from the defense. We'll move to the forward line. Now, I think we all probably agree at the moment. You know, losing Peter Wright was was a disaster. Not just as a collective, but for some some of our players individually, it meant they have to probably play roles they're not quite up up to scratch to be able to play. And unfortunately, you know, he's not going to be back till they're back into the season. So, if we're going to stay competitive in games against the side like St Kilda, we're going to have to find. A mix that works, but if you look at the way we we lined up on Saturday night, so Archie Perkins, who, who plays that half forward role at the moment, he kicked a couple of goals. Caldwell and Shield, you know, they're probably more midfield. They kicked a couple. Nick Martin plays a similar role, I think, to, to Archie a little bit. He kicked a goal. You, know, you, you as you mentioned, Jake got Stringer got one. Langford, who went down back again did still manage to sneak a goal. Di Menzies got one. But if you look, then you know Harry Jones didn't. didn't he, he scored, you know, one point, hit the top. Um, Sam Wiedemann didn't score at all. You know, Owen David Jr. didn't score. You know, Sam Durham didn't score. It, it's it, You're starting to look at, at this going, well, the forward line mix isn't working at the moment. We can't always rely, as nice as it would be, for Kyle Langford to kick five goals every week for the, the forward line to work. Oh, and I think, yeah, we're, we're certainly struggling to get something out of our tools at the moment. Imagine going back two years and saying that we'd be desperate to get Peter Wright and Brandon Zirk Thatcher back in the side. It's, you know, we are struggling for, t- for tools, particularly up forward. Um, I think, you know, the mix di- didn't quite work. Um, our delivery didn't help. I think our delivery to our tall forwards isn't great. Uh, Peter Wright makes it work because he he's two metres tall. He's a strong body that can stand his ground in a marking contest. And I don't think, unfortunately, Sam Wiedemann is that player and we know Harry Jones isn't. So, yeah, I think it's just that difficulty in how do you get the right mix on field. Wiedemann's first two weeks uh, were really good. Harry Jones, I thought, you know, you and I have had endless arguments about this, but I think the the way Harry Jones plays the game is fantastic. And I personally wouldn't have subbed him when we did because he's a guy who works into the game the longer the game goes, but he's not getting rewards for effort. It's, it's all well and good to come out and run 15K a game and provide an option. But at a point, we have to sit there and say, okay, you, you've had three games, you've had four games, we're going to try something different. And you do have uh, everyone's favourite, you know, rugby playing AFL boy, Paddy Voss, sitting there and he's, he's good overhead. He's a strong body. He competes hard. He doesn't play the, the game in the way that a Jones does. He isn't the same height as a Wiedemann, but... He's scoring goals, and at a certain point, we're going to have to sit there and say, well, we've got to put guys in the side that are scoring and see how they go. So you mentioned that we are, we've argued about Harry Jones, but you basically just said what I've been trying to say for the last three weeks, and it's what I said last week on the podcast, is is it's, Jones is running well, and that's great, but he's just not getting the reward for effort. So you just can't keep picking him because he runs really well and puts in the hard effort. I, I, I appreciate you know that I, mean, I still think he's going to be a good forward, but... Yeah. I think I said last week, he's going about 2K a possession at the moment. You know, obviously, on Saturday night, he went a little bit better because I don't think he ran 22Ks to get his 11 touches. But it's just it's hard to keep justifying picking him just because he's leading patterns or, or he's, he's, he's getting on his bike. Or 
because development-wise, the best way you can develop as a footballer is to get your hands on the pill. And he's just not getting his hands on the pill enough at the moment. And and part of that is because of Peter Wright. Part of that is because of delivery. And, and I think part of it just comes down to the fact that he just hasn't played enough football, which is why I think that, you know, we should probably be looking at dropping him this week and bringing Patrick Voss in, who you did mention, because you know, Voss has scored, what, nine goals in the last two weeks. And you're right, he doesn't play the Harry Jones role, but, you know, there's no, there's no bulletproof option for, for a forward line mix. You can mix it up and have different players. So I, I would be interested to see Voss playing. And also, I just think it's 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 pretty harsh on the bloke when the tall forwards in front of him aren't firing for him to be banging the door down like he is. If you don't pick him, what sort of message are you sending to him? Oh, and, and I agree. I think, you know, for me, any player, particularly a young player, it's a bit different when you're, you know, a Zaharakis or someone like that who's at the end of your career, Sure, come in and play one game. But any young player, I think if you're going to bring him in, you've got to be willing to give him three or four weeks. I think Jones, he's he's had three weeks now and he's he's shown a lot of really positive stuff. His running's good. He's getting up the ground. He's working hard. They're, they're all the things we want to see from him. But his contested marking isn't quite there at the moment and his goal kicking's not quite there. And I think as much as uh, I love runners, always have wingmen, you know, I love the hard-running players and I want, I would love to see Harry Jones make it. And I think he's had his three or four weeks now and it doesn't help him when he doesn't have a tall partner alongside him, certainly. But, um, yeah, there's a point where you sort of go, you know what, you, you've had your opportunity and we think there's some really positive things you're doing, but you've got someone banging the door down that could play a, a similar role. You've got Langford there sitting there who's a really smart, leading, marking, medium forward who's able to score and he's proven it at AFL level. And at a certain point, we've got to say, well, do we persist with Wiedemann and Jones or do we go in with uh, someone else? Do we put Voss in and bring Aaron Phillips back in? Uh, sorry, Andrew Phillips, yeah. um, to, well, yeah. to pr- change the mix a bit. I think the problem is if you're going to drop Wiedemann instead of Jones, for example, you have to bring Phillips back in because Jones can't go into the ruck and, and Voss can't ruck. So it, it's a little bit it's a little bit harsh there because because the thing is, right, so if if Peter Wright was fit, um, you could still play, say, your Peter Wright, your Harry Jones and and Patrick Voss and, and say drop a Weedman because then you could just throw Vo- uh, right into the ruck if you really needed to. But you just can't throw Jones into the ruck. His body's just – he'll break down. If you're, um, you know – Braden Proust or anyone anyone else or any, any ruckman in the AFL and you see Harry Jones standing coming in opposite of you at a centre bounce or around the ground, you just lick your, lick your lips because you're going to ragdoll him. Oh, definitely. And and we are hamstrung at the moment where the guy who we, you know, we'd probably penciled right in at, at full forward, but the ability for him to play as that ruck forward and genuinely be of ruck height is certainly a luxury that lets us fiddle with team selection that we don't have at the moment. We're sort of stuck between you. You play Wiedemann, who is a forward, but he's not quite getting it done. You've got Phillips, who's a ruckman, that uh, does provide a reasonable target up forward. And I think Drapo is the the option there that is probably something that needs more of a look at is getting Draper forward more often because he he's a big target when he's up there. He's kicking for goals, not always reliable, but his ability to to make a contest and he's a big, heavy, strong man. He doesn't get outmarked. And I think that's one of the things that's allowed, you know, Menzies and Davey to be brought into the game in the first couple of weeks was the time Draper spent forward that he wasn't afforded against the killer. Yeah, so, so Draper did run a lot 
a lot forward against um, the, the Suns and obviously did against Hawthorne as well. It didn't really seem to do that too much. He, he seemed very more, I suppose, respectful or watchful of Rowan Marshall because Rowan Marshall runs forward as well from a stoppage. So I think maybe Sammy just needed to back himself a little bit more on Saturday night, push forward. Because as you said, once he gets up there, he creates that contest and the ball hits the deck. But we'll, we'll move past the Saints game just for now. And we will look towards, um, as I said earlier, the, the Easter Sunday clash. It's 2.10 Eastern Standard Time at, at Marvel Stadium against the Giants. And the first thing I want to say is I, mean, I am amazed that we're $1.48. That's incredibly short because, I look, I get the GWS have struggled in the first couple of weeks, but they're not that far behind us, I wouldn't have thought, really. No, it seems a little short for me. I think GWS, they, they're not the team they once were. They're not as stacked with talent, but you know, their tall forwards are going, to tr- are going to trouble us. We, we don't have the tall defenders at the moment. If Zerk Thatcher comes back in, he's, he's had a rolled ankle. He probably hasn't run on it much, and he's going to have to stand a Himmelberg or a Jesse Hogan. And I think their midfield, you know, Tom Green's going to be an absolute star. He, he's already an exceptionally good player. You've got Toby Green, who's an endlessly difficult matchup, and and they're a strong running side as well. So, yeah, I think a dollar forty is, uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's much value there. And, and and not to mention they've still got you know Jake Kelly and Steve Cornelio, Lockie Whitfield. You know, I mean, I get Cornelio and Whitfield aren't the players they once were. Callum Ward, but they're still bloody handy players. Like it's it's just um it's an interesting interesting little thing. I think because I think their weakness is their back line at the moment. Our weakness is our forward line. So I'm not too sure if we should be that short. But in terms of team selection, I I think this week's going to be very interesting. And and um, I did read earlier today that Andrew McGrath has come out and said that, you know, they still rate Dyson Heppel's um, contribution because he runs, he runs, he runs from end to end. And, you know, stats might not say it, but his teammates notice it and appreciate it. And, and look, it's great for Andy to come out and say it, but, I just I don't know how we keep selecting Dyson at the moment, just the way he is covering the ground and and his disposal. I I just think, unfortunately, he probably needs to to wake up and and be a little bit more honest with himself and and say, look, maybe maybe the game has started to pass him by and maybe. Maybe we don't drop him to the VFL this week. Maybe we play him as the the sub because you know he can come onto the ground and the everyone else has had a little bit of the, the wind taken out of him. But for a start, I think I think Heppel is definitely one that we're going to have to look at. Is his spot this week as secure as as maybe Brad Scott thinks it currently is? Oh, I, I think it's he's the obvious target. It's unfortunate that a player who's really stood by the club and been there and given his all at a time when the club needed someone to do that is kind of becoming the whipping boy. But he, against St Kilda, he struggled. He, his disposal wasn't great when he got the ball. His man tends to run off him because he, he does work hard. He covers a lot of distance, but his speed over 10 or 20 metres just isn't there anymore. And he was never he was never a particularly quick player to begin with. And it's unfortunate that it's come to this, but I think, you know, I look, I sit there and I think, well, you know, surely we could push Langford into his wing role and probably do as good or better a job with a better scoring threat and a player that's just got a little bit, his legs are younger. He's not, he has not been smashed by three or four years of foot injuries and broken down by playing inside midfield. And um, I think we're doing Dyson a disservice by continuing to play him at the expense of some informed young players in the VFL, whilst his body's clearly just failing him. 
So who do you bring in for him from the VFL? Oh, it is a hard one. I, I think to me, there's no obvious player in the VFL that would take that wing role. So I, I think someone like a Langford or take those minutes, which pushes. I don't like Langford in the back line. I think his his strength is he's kicking inside fifty. He's a he's a good mark. He's a straight kick for goal. If he's in the back line, you're wasting that. Um, so you know, if you if you take Heppel out, you bring Zerk Thatcher in, push Langford to the wing. That probably solves that issue, and then. I think there'll be. It's going to be pretty hard to keep Paddy Voss out. He's had a really strong two weeks, and none of our forwards are setting the world on fire. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jones is, comes out of the side for Voss. And I, I don't think there'll be major changes. I think, unfortunately, Hobbs with his ankle injury is probably not an option this week. But he's he looked pretty good. He pretty good in the VFL the other week, didn't he? He did. He did. Um, I mean. Uh, you did mention his name earlier, and it's somebody that we haven't brought in this year. But if you wanted somebody to bring in to play that sort of wing role, I suppose Will Snelling could do it. I mean, he wasn't too bad in the VFL on the weekend, so he's he, he's sort of becoming, I think, the forgotten player at Eston a little bit because you know when he came on, he he came on and, and burst out of the blocks, and then last year he battled injury all year, so sort of struggled, and then hasn't really got a look in again this year. But you know he's not he's not a bad option to to have have run on, on that wing spot where Hepps is at the moment. Oh, I think um, unfortunately for Snelling last year, he's a, he's a guy that really relies on his running power, and I suspect a lot of people don't realise just how good an athlete he is and how far and how fast he can run. Uh, and he's a genuine midfielder. That that's the thing. He was drafted as a midfielder. He played his sample footy as a midfielder, and. You've got this luxury of a guy who does understand when to sit off a pack, when to go. I think his disposal inside 50 is pretty good. Uh, he's certainly an option and he looks like he's fit again. He's covering the ground well. And all the things that made him a really valuable player for us in 2021, I think it was, he came third in the BFF, NF, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, he looks like he's he's back to being that player. And certainly I think he's an option. I think unfortunately for Guelphie, he's got that injury and he's out for a few weeks. So there's... It's a strange thing, isn't it? Suddenly we've got depth and selection pressure where you're sitting there going, geez, we've, we've got a few guys we could bring in. And I just think it makes the case to keep Heppel in the side when he's probably he's probably not, you know, I, I know McGrath's defending him, but is he providing much leadership when his, the opposition seems to play through his man on the wing because they know that he's not going to be able to keep up with them? Yeah, and and, that, and that's the point. And it's, it's funny you mentioned depth because you know, we're talking about how bear the the cupboard is for, for tools at the moment as well um but yeah you're right in the, in that sort of that that small medium space um we do seem to suddenly have some depth which would make sense because you know adrian dodoro for years has, has drafted those those mid-sized players to try and shoehorn them into roles yeah we we do love a flanker at essendon and all of a sudden all our flankers are in form and uh, poor old heffel is Stuck playing AFL while all these flankers are performing really well in the VFL and can't get a gig. The other thing I just want to mention, so so Alwyn Davey, obviously, you know, we're very excited about him. He's going to be a Jet and all this. And he he did come up a little bit sore after Saturday night. Is he starting to get sort of into the same category as Harry Jones, though, in a little, in that he's doing some good stuff at AFL, but he's not getting his hands on the pill and he's not kicking goals. So maybe... A switch down to the VFL just just for a week or two, just to get him some some time around the ball could be useful. Yeah, unfortunately, the small forward stocks. You know, maybe, maybe you could probably maybe bring in Tex if you wanted to, I guess, but he hasn't done much to to light the world on fire. 
Well, I suppose that's 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 probably a role that Snelling's played in the past. Is that running small forward, high half forward sort of space, which is kind of what Alwyn Davies is uh, seems to be best at. I think Jaden Davies a genuine small forward, and as much as we're we're all loving the development of Alwyn, I think hopefully we get to see Jaden kick some wonderful miracle goals in the future. Uh, I don't know. I, you had a you had a six day break for a young bloke, so maybe he was a bit sore. We're coming into an eight day break here. I don't know whether he's got some sort of repercussions from uh, whoever's head he ran into late in the game last week. Uh, I, I think he's the sort of guy that his defensive running, his pressure, you know, his chase down tackle of Brad Hill. He's had a few shots and his radar's a little bit wayward, but he just looks like a guy that needs to get to to learn the pace of the AFL. So I think for him getting a, a six-week block in the AFL to really get his head around the pace of the game would do him a world of good. But at a certain point, he's if he's continuing to not quite hit the scoreboard, not quite get his timing right and those sorts of things, he's going to have to go back to the VFL. And like anyone, uh, you hope that he goes back and absolutely dominates and forces his way into selection. The same as really, Paddy Voss is the prime example at the moment. Hobbs, his first game was dominant. Nick Hind had, what, 42. And uh, at a certain point, I think if Snelling keeps doing what he's doing, it's going to sit there and say, well, he can really come in and provide that defensive grunt work that Davey's doing and he's probably more of a scoring threat at the moment yeah absolutely all right well thanks for joining me today mate it's 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 been good to have a chat as always and I, I think there's probably a few people that are going to listen to this and be bitterly disappointed that we didn't end up trying to kill each other through the uh through the microphones yeah I think um you know at the end of the day everyone's passionate about their footy club we all we all want the club to succeed. We just sometimes have different views on how they'll get there and why. But at the core of it, we all, you know, we're all Essendon supporters. We all want to see the club do well. We've all stuck together through a pretty tough last 10 years. And I think sometimes we just need to remember that at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, even if uh, sometimes we disagree about how we might get there. I reckon 10 years has been generous, mate. I reckon it's probably been a long 15 years approach, starting to approach 20. Um, because yeah, the, it the 2004? 2004, but I mean, 2005 was all right, but the tail end of the Sheedy years and the Knights era weren't exactly a cakewalk for Eston fans either. Yeah, I think our last finals win can drive now, can't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely can. <laughs> That's always good. Yeah. All right. No, thank you very much. And as always, everybody, um, please feel free to like, subscribe and share this podcast to as many people as you can, because we obviously appreciate all of our listeners. Thank you very much.